0: It's great to see you this Sunday morning, on what is truly a unique day. How is today unique? I'm not actually referring to the Super Bowl. I'm referring to the fact that today is a palindromic day. You knew that, right? Now, palindrome is something that can be written frontward and backward, and it's basically the same. And since today is 0202 2020, it's a palindrome day. So, well, that's not that novel. Well, actually, it is. The last time this happened was November the 11th, 1111. It's been 909 years, numerically speaking, since that has happened. And if you want to look ahead, it will be another 101 years until it happens again on December the 12th, 2121. It's just a a quirky bit of information, but I thought, well, that's interesting. It's a unique day. But truth be known, the significance of this day isn't that. The significance of this day, I'm convinced, is that God has something that he wants to say to us. We've gathered in Jesus' name to worship, and we should be encouraged, God himself, would seek to speak to our hearts through the testimony of his word. With that said, can I pray for us that that will be exactly what is achieved in the moments remaining? Dear God, I come to you in the name of Jesus Christ, and my prayer is simple. Give your people ears to hear what you would say to us out of the testimony of your own word. Speak to our hearts, we ask. In Jesus' name, amen. If you've been attending with us through the month of January, you know we're in a series that I've entitled The Walk, where as a people of faith, we've been seeking to understand how we can actively walk in Jesus Christ. Now, that's based upon two key verses in chapter 2 of Paul's letter to the church at Colossae, where Paul, as he would appeal to us as a people of faith, would say, therefore, as you have received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him. Now, that appeal is a command. He's pleading with us. Walk in the spiritual reality that Jesus has made possible for you. Walk in him, rooted and built up in him, established in the faith as you were taught. Notice there is that learning that that takes place on our part. But through it all, as we experience Christ abounding in thanksgiving. Now, that was the apostles' heart for the church at Colossae. If Paul was to speak to us directly today, that would be his appeal to us this morning. Walk in Jesus Christ. Now, for the time that I'm with you this morning, I want us to think about what moved Paul to do what he did. He appeals to believers to walk in this way. What motivates him? What drives him to do what he was willing to do? Well, this morning, our focal passage will give us some insight into what was influencing the apostle and perhaps can also influence us this morning. It's found in the first chapter of Paul's letter, to the church of Colossae, Colossians chapter 1. And I want us just to listen to what the apostle says, beginning with verse 24. He's going to give us a glimpse into his own mind and heart. And I hope from that we can gain some wisdom ourselves. Listen how he begins in verse 24. Now, just before I read this, you should probably understand, Paul writes this letter from a prison cell. He's experienced a tremendous level of hardship because of his devotion to Jesus Christ. And so in verse 24, listen to what he writes. Now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake and in my flesh. I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body. That is, the church. Many of you have been reading along with us through the book of Colossians, and some of you have read this as many as seven times. Have you wondered what Paul's talking about there? How Paul is suggesting that in some sense he's filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions. What in the world is Paul talking about? Do understand what Paul is not speaking about is Christ's work of salvation for us. That's a finished work. When Jesus died and rose again, he secured everything that we needed to become the children of God if we would respond to him in faith. So that's not what Paul is alluding to. Rather, what Paul is attempting to describe is something, th- something that is wonderfully mysterious. Paul is helping us to realize that as we suffer for the cause of Christ... Christ himself identifies with us in that suffering. This was a lesson that Paul came to understand the first time he met Jesus Christ. Acts chapter 9 describes that event where the resurrected Jesus appears before Paul, also known as Saul, on the Damascus Road. Now, prior to that, Saul had been actively persecuting the church. He was trying to punish people who were following Jesus. Well, on his way to Damascus, Jesus dramatically appears and speaks to Paul, to Saul. And listen to what he says. I'm reading from Acts 9. It's not on the screen, but verse 4. Jesus speaks, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And Saul said, who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. The lesson in all of this is as Paul had this encounter with Jesus. Jesus actively identifies with those who suffer in his name. That their suffering isn't where Jesus is just a spectator to that. No, Jesus shares in that so that when Paul writes that in my suffering I'm filling up what is lacking in Christ's affliction. He's celebrating that in his suffering, Christ is there. He's not alone in his suffering. We have a dear brother in India that we partner with to support them and their ministry. Well, followers of Jesus in parts of India suffer physical persecution. But when they do, we should realize Christ shares in that affliction with them. That he's present in a spiritual kind of way. Well, let's go on. Verse 25, Paul adds, of which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God. In other words, God had something that he wanted me to do that was given to me for you. And what was that? To make the word of God fully known. Now, I can't stress this strongly enough. When Paul pointed people to Jesus Christ, declaring the truth of Jesus Christ, this wasn't the ideas of the apostle. This was Paul seeking to communicate God's revelations, God's word. See, the hope we have isn't found in the musings of men. It's found in the testimony of God. And Paul says... God called me toward a task where I would deliver to you God's message, God's word. Verse 26, the mystery, he adds, hidden for ages and generations, but now revealed to his saints. In Paul's language, the Greek language, saints is the word hagios, which means holy ones or those who've been set apart by God. He says this mystery... Has been revealed to those God has set apart. Verse 27 To them, notice, God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles, which from a Jewish point of view would have been most unexpected, how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery. And what was the mystery? He defines it, which is Christ where? in you, the hope of glory. We've been stressing over and over again that the Christian life isn't a life lived where you view God separated from the experience. No, it's a walk where you're walking in Jesus. Paul concedes this is mysterious. We would all agree with that. That in all of our lives, in some sense, God has directed his presence through the Holy Spirit so that the life that we live is very much spiritually empowered by Christ himself. Christ in you. That's the mystery. The hope of glory. Our future confidence, our assurance about the future is rest. It rests in the knowledge that it's Christ in us that's working and doing. He adds to that, verse 28, him, referring to Christ in you, we proclaim, warning everyone, teaching everyone with all wisdom. What's lost in our English translation is the verb proclaim, warning, teaching. All three of these verbs in Paul's language are in the present tense, which is his way of saying, this is something we continuously do. We're constantly proclaiming Christ in you. We're constantly warning you. Now, what is he warning them about? When we come back to our next lesson, we'll begin to discuss how some False teachers had begun to mislead them. They had begun to kind of lower their understanding of Jesus in their eyes and even had begun to suggest to them that the Christian life is basically you maintaining a set of religious rules. Paul writes to this church to say, no, it's not that. The Christian life is as you relate to the living Christ, as you follow him. Obedience is a very personal response. And so, he says, we're constantly proclaiming Jesus, constantly warning you against those who would mislead you, and we're consistently teaching you what you need to hear. Now, some of you, as you've been with us since January the 5th, saying, you're becoming awfully redundant, pastor. You keep saying the same things. Well, research tells us that for a person to establish a new pattern of life it takes somewhere between 60 to 80 days for that to be established. Not just a couple of weeks, not just four weeks for that matter. If we're truly going to kind of embrace a new understanding of heart that results in a new pattern of life, it's going to take repetition. And so as Paul admits, we're constantly teaching you the same thing so that potentially... You experience what God desires. Indeed, what was that? Going back to, to the verse, that we may present everyone mature in Christ. For, verse 29, this I toil, struggling with all, notice this, his energy, that he powerfully works within me well as i've read these few verses let me go back to the earlier question what is it that moves paul to do what he does i mean what is his motivation what is it that's driving him along i think the answer is in a summary way stated in verse 28 him jesus we proclaim consistently warned consistently, everyone teaching everyone, with all wisdom, that we may present everyone mature in Christ. There you have it. What motivates Paul to do what he does? He wants everyone to be mature. In Jesus Christ. He wants everyone to understand that in in a spiritual way. What Paul seeks is this. He seeks to join Jesus to present himself and others. Mature in Jesus Christ. That's what he does. Now I say he presents himself. I think he's included in the everyone. Everyone. Truth be known, you're not going to be able to help someone else to become mature in Christ if you're not seeking seriously to be mature mature in your own life. But Paul, as he looks at the task in front of him, his desire, his longing, his prayer is to join Jesus. This is his work. To join Jesus in presenting himself and everyone mature in Jesus Christ. Now that maybe begs the question, well, what is the meaning of mature? I mean, we might uh, offer a variety of definitions based our own, from our own perspective. Well, let me give you a sense of what was on Paul's mind. The, the term mature, some translations have the word perfect, which is sometimes an uncomfortable term when we see it in the New Testament. Uh, other translations have the word complete. The term in Paul's language is teleos it's a word that's emphasizing that something has come to the point where it's fulfilling purpose the simplest way to visualize this is to visualize a a plant say a tomato plant the tomato plant is mature when it produces the fruit it's designed to bear it's mature it's perfect you see it's accomplishing what it was intended to do that's what Paul has in mind as he speaks of wanting to present himself and others as mature in Christ. He's wanting all of us to fulfill the very purpose that God has for us. Now maybe a way to even define that further is to take you back to the prayer that we discussed a couple of weeks ago. Remember what Paul was praying for in Colossians 1? Let me read it for you. In And see, if you don't understand, this is what mature means. Listen to what he prays. And so from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his, God's will, in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. So in other words, we'll know what path we're supposed to follow. So as, notice, to walk in a manner... Worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him. That's the description of maturity. That what we're wanting to move toward is a a way of life that begins to reflect Jesus. In the words we speak, in the actions we take, even the priorities that become our own. Still further, he adds, bearing fruit, notice, in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. That's what Paul wants to see happen in everyone's life. Now, some of us, maybe when we read that, and we're saying, okay, so I'm supposed to reflect Jesus in all that I say indeed. Dude, does that mean I'm going to lose my identity? I'm going to lose my distinctive personality? Absolutely not. How many of you enjoy seeing uh, neon signs? As a boy growing up, I was always fascinated by le- neon signs, the brightness of the color, you know, how in the dark they would just kind of glow and it would always attract my eye. Well, the fascinating thing about neon signs is, you know, just the shape it's of the sign itself can be attractive. But you don't really see the beauty until the neon is activated. See, neon is a gas, and electricity is introduced to the gas so that it generates light. So that was, what was there in terms of its original shape has an enhanced beauty to it. What Paul wants us to discover is something similar to that. Each and every one of us are unique in personality and gifts and who we are collectively. But see, the beauty of who we are is fully seen when we discover Christ's influence in our lives, where what we do is fully pleasing to him. It bears fruit in every good work. I mean, if you want to see the most beautiful you... And let Jesus Christ manifest in an increasing way his presence within you. And I do stress it is Jesus at work within you. Go back to Paul's prayer, verse 11. Being strengthened with all power according to his, God's, glorious might for all endurance and patience and joy. Paul says... I want to present everyone, including myself, mature in Christ. I want everyone to learn how to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to the Lord, bearing fruit in every good work, and increasing in the knowledge of God. That's what I aspire to. That's what I long To see. Now here's the deal. That was Paul in his example. Do we want to follow that? Should we follow what Paul is modeling for us? More specifically, I mean, should we not want to present ourselves and others? as mature in Jesus Christ? I mean, shouldn't that be something that we want as well? Now, Come on, preacher, I'm not a minister like the apostle. I'm not a a pastor like you. I mean, that's a task that's reserved for just a few. Oh, really? Last week, we read a verse out of Hebrews chapter 1 that reminded us that Jesus is the exact representation of Christ and uh, of God in his very nature. But later in the book of Hebrews, listen to what the writer says in terms of how we are to be responding mutually. I'm reading from Hebrews 10 verse 23. Let us, he's speaking to believers, hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. For he, God, who promised is faithful. Now, is there an amen to that? He is faithful. And verse 24, let us, speaking to the believers, consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day, referring to Christ's return, as you see the day drawing Near. Now, what the writer of Hebrews is trying to suggest to us is that all of us should be encouraging one another to live out our faith. That we shouldn't avoid getting together because it's in the coming together that we can strengthen each other. We can help each other discover what it means to live in Christ Jesus so that we might be mature. Earlier in in Hebrews, consider Hebrews 3.13. But exhort one another every day, as long as it's called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. Paul says, I want to join Jesus in presenting myself and Everyone else mature. Well, shouldn't we express that same desire of heart? Shouldn't I want to present myself and others mature? Now, I want to give us a a way that we can do that. I mean, throughout this series, I've been providing a plan of action. And so this morning, I want us to, to go back to our plan of action from last week and Consider just a slight change to what we've been doing. If you have your connections, it's listed there. But look at it and consider if this is something God can do through you to help us encourage each other. Now the first step is this. Begin each day by reading a chapter of Ephesians. Surprise, surprise. We're moving out of Colossians. We've read through it for the whole month of January. Well, tomorrow we'll start reading in Ephesians. Now, some of you say, well, I still have a chapter left in Colossians. We'll read it this afternoon and start with Ephesians 1 in the morning. But I want us to read from Ephesians not to prove ourselves religious. I want us to read as a disciple who believes in Jesus Christ. And so as I read Ephesians 1 in the morning, I'm asking God himself to highlight within my heart what he would help me to see the lesson, the truth, the insight, I'm asking him to speak. And as I'm asking him to show me something he wants me to see, at the same time, I'm going to ask him to help me live whatever it may be out. It's not that God just wants to point us down the path. He wants to enable us to walk the path, right? So tomorrow, read Ephesians 1. Now, if you're a guest with us today, we're working slowly through Colossians, I might suggest to you, go ahead and read Colossians this week. And once you finish reading it, as we'll do with Ephesians, we're going to start it all over again. Yeah, we'll read Ephesians more than once, so get ready for that. But whether you're reading Colossians or Ephesians, the prayer is the same. God, I want you to speak to my heart, and I want you to help me do what you highlight for me to do. That's the first part of our plan. The second part, ask God also to fill you with his wisdom and understanding concerning the people and situations you face into the day ahead. And that's, you're putting practically in motion the prayer that Paul models there in verses 9 through 12. And as you're asking for wisdom, notice, prayerfully identify the path he would have you today to take. But here's a new element. Consider especially those you might encourage in the faith. Now, I've not stated that, that, that way previously, but see, as I'm asking God to show me the path that I'm supposed to walk, and I'm asking God to give me wisdom as I interact with the people in the midst of the day, ask him specifically to lead you to encourage someone in the faith, someone in the walk. Don't Simply approach your Christianity from the point of view, I'm going to be the one who constantly receives the encouragement. I'm not going to be one who extends it. We want to follow Paul's example, we want to extend support. And so just begin to pray for that. Ask God to help you do that. Now, this week, you're going to be in Ephesians reading. In Ephesians 5, let me give you a preview of something that you're going to come across. I guess we'll read this on Friday. Listen to what Paul writes in verse 15. Look carefully then how you walk. Not as unwise, but as wise. Making the best use of the time because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is how do we understand that? We're asking for it. With our Bibles open, we're seeking his wisdom and understanding of his will. Verse 18, and do not get drunk with wine or let me throw in beer on Super Bowl Sunday. Now, as you read that phrase, think influence See, what Paul's concerned about is that those who know Christ will find themselves negatively influenced in ways that cause them to make bad judgments or bad decisions. And he recognized in his day, getting drunk inevitably leads a person down a foolish path. Indeed, he gives a characterization of that. He says, uh, for that is debauchery. Instead, he says, be filled with the Spirit. Once more, think influence. We're wanting the presence of God to influence us down the path that we're supposed to be walking. As he makes that appeal, notice verse 19, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. I'm going to have to admit to you this past week, I wasn't abounding in thanksgiving. I was convicted of that as I began to work on the message leading us into today. I was reminded this week, I tweaked my back and I allowed that to justify a less than thankful attitude. We're all in the process of learning. But the point is, Paul wants us to live Thankful. Verse 21. Submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Do you s- see the interaction? Paul's modeling for us what I think should be our disposition of heart. We should be relating to each other, encouraging one another, which I bring you back to the action plan. Prayerfully identify the path he would have you to take. Consider especially those you might encourage in the faith. With the path before you, ask Jesus' help to walk it. Choose to walk in Jesus. That leads us further in our prayer. Conclude your prayer by marveling over God's work of salvation on your your behalf. Identify two additional reasons to be thankful and give thanks to the Lord. Now, if you believe Jesus is your Lord and Savior, there's no reason you shouldn't Come to experience more of Jesus by implementing this simple plan of action. That's the goal. That's my motivation. And so as we look at Paul, I think that's what he's trying to move us toward. He wants us to join Jesus in presenting ourselves, yourself, and others as mature in Jesus. Will you do that? Will you even consider it? And before I close, let me I have to be honest. You need to know on the front end, whether it's in your life or in the life of another person, spiritual growth requires effort. I don't know where it developed in the church where we just thought Jesus is just gonna kind of zap us with some kind of spiritual transformation where we don't have to do anything that has never been the teaching of scripture now jesus wants us to walk in him but friends that does include effort it takes effort to get up in the morning and read a chapter out of god's word it takes effort to enter into a conversation that might result in life change within you it takes effort for you to deliberately encourage someone else It doesn't include you, right? Again, didn't you hear how that was true with Paul? Go back to verse 28. Him we proclaim, warning everyone, teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. For this I toil. That's the term for work. Struggling. That's the word that emphasizes intensity. With all his energy... It is God's work in us that he powerfully works within me. But it does involve effort. If we're not willing to give the effort, we'll not discover maturity. If we're not willing to give the effort, we'll not help others discover maturity. He carries it on into chapter 2. He adds... For I want you to know how great a struggle I have for you and for those at Laodicea, for all who have not seen me face to face. He's trying to encourage people he's even yet to meet physically that their hearts may be encouraged, being knit together in love to reach all the uh, riches of full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery which is Christ in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. I say this in order that no one may delude you with plausible arguments, for though I am absent in body, yet I am with you in spirit, rejoicing to see your good order and the firmness of your faith in Christ. Spiritual growth requires... Effort. That's always been the case. And that will be the case into the week ahead. Now, I don't want to, to misguide you with that. We don't focus on ourselves. The effort isn't self-centered. Where's the focus? We discussed it last week. The focus is where? It's on Jesus, right? It's christ in you i want to direct my effort to focus on him to relate to him to discover the wisdom that is his the focus is on jesus and that explains then in verses six and seven what paul goes on to say so therefore as you have received christ jesus the lord so walk in him rooted and built up in him established in the faith and i could put in parentheses in him As you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. The next seven days can be extraordinary days for you. If you will join Jesus in presenting yourself and someone else, mature. Put forth the effort. See what God will do. Let me pray for us. Dear God, I thank you for the attentiveness of each person here. I thank you through your word. You have spoken. I I pray you would now help us to do something that our faith would awaken within our hearts and minds thoughts that lead us to action. Father, I pray you will enable every believer in the room this morning to be more mature in Jesus than they were the last week. But I know a part of what that includes is our willingness to encourage someone in the faith. Lord, help us to begin to do that actively. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.